And today we will be thinking about this title, The High Priest, Jesus is Better. Okay, the High Priest, Jesus is Better. And that's going to be from Hebrews chapter 5. But before anything, it's most important that we pray. So let's do that together and, and I'll lead us. Lord, we pause. We never want our prayers or our so-called religious activities to be perfunctory, just something that we do. Lord, we recognize right now that you are God. We hear this rain that you have sent. We praise you. Help us again, according to John chapter 4, that we might worship in spirit and truth, which is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is plain, that it is clear. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you that Jesus is better, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua. Open your word to us today. Please help us through the Holy Spirit and give us clarity and simplicity. Come, Lord, and help us. Help me. Help all of us, we pray. To give careful attention to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, take a minute to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Please join me there. You can. Hebrews chapter 5. That's near the end of your Bible. So Revelation being the last book, and then you turn back to the, make a left turn, back a little bit to the book of Hebrews, and here we are in chapter 5 today. So follow along with me, uh, look and listen, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 5. The author says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, he says in Hebrews 5.4, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. This is uh, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he, also, as he says also in another place, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll pause there. Of course, keep your Bibles open. Let me ask you a question. Answer these questions in your mind, but don't just answer these questions. Uh, think about them. Was Jesus able not, or was Jesus able to not die? 
Was he able to avoid death? Think about these. Was Jesus able to avoid death? Did Jesus used to be a little bit disobedient? Was Jesus formerly at some point a little disobedient? Was there a time when he was not fully obedient and therefore needed to learn obedience instead? Did Jesus ever shed a tear? Did he ever uh, come close to anything that we might call uh, screaming out in prayer? Was there imperfection in Jesus? At least at some point in his life, maybe early on, was there imperfection in Jesus? Look at verse 7. Look, listen, Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... Hebrews 5, 9, he, be, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Maybe, hopefully, you see why some of those questions. Let me ask you a few more, just a couple of more. Maybe these would seem more practical to our, to our Christian lives. Think about these. Uh, does obedience matter? Does obedience to Jesus matter? If you answer yes, does your life reflect that it matters? Does it matter if unbelievers obey or believe the gospel or not? Another question on the more practical side of things. Do you ever pray? Do you ever really pray? If you're a Christian, to use our Christianese language, if you're a Christian this morning, how is your prayer life? Well, these questions that I've just addressed to you are taken here from the text this morning. And what we see, as I've already mentioned in the title is we see the whole book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. And we see that again today. If it's true of the whole book, then it's true of, of really of every section of the book. And, and what we see today is the high priesthood. Hebrews chapter 5, the high priest, Jesus is better. Let me just give you a very brief word of personal testimony. As we're working our way through this book, I've... I've been excited for what's coming uh, in the sermons of Hebrews just basically right after this. I've been looking forward to that. There were certain things before this text today that I was excited about. Certain juicy parts of the text that, uh, that I liked and that maybe, maybe felt, felt really preachable. I don't know. And it's not that I... In this text today, just a, just a brief word of testimony, it's not that in coming to this text today that I hated it or didn't like it, but, but maybe it's one that I would not have chosen. Some people say 
that that's one of the beauties of what's called consecutive expositional preaching. You say, what's that? Well, expositional preaching is just simply an attempt by the church to let God's Word say what God's Word says. So it's the, it's the preacher, the church and the preacher does not set the agenda. The church doesn't set the agenda, the Word of God sets the agenda. That's what expositional preaching is. Is letting the text and letting the main point of the text be the main point of the sermon. And then you add that word consecutive expositional preaching. It just means you preach through a book of the Bible or like we're doing uh, through part of a book of a Bible, Hebrews chapters 1 through 6. So by the way, we like to do both. So we like to preach through books or through parts of books. And we also like to be sensitive on a week-by-week basis in prayer. And that's why we all need to pray to what the people of God may need on any given week. So we like to do both. But as I said, that's why, that's why people say one of the beauties of consecutive expositional preaching, just preaching paragraph by paragraph, right through a book of the Bible, section by section, uh, uh, verse by verse is what most people say, is that I'm, I might not choose this passage, but what I'm trying to say is this. Let me get to my point. That Man, did I discover some riches. Oh, I knew Hebrews 5. I've, I, I've, I know Hebrews 5. I've known it. I've never studied it like this. And it wasn't that I was dreading preaching this passage, but did I discover some riches that I want to share and that I want us to see with God's help that we would see today. Not that anything that I would say would be so dramatic or so earth-shattering, but that we would look at the Word of God, that we would look at Hebrews 5, 1 through 10, and we'd think, okay, high priest, okay, whoop de doo right? High priest. Look at this. Look and learn and digest and put it into practice. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. The high priest, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. This passage is about the high priesthood. This passage is about the high priesthood. Let me tell you how this passage addresses us this morning as sinners. Friends, we think that God considers obedience to be optional. We may think that God considers obedience to be optional. Listen to me. By the way, if you've been here on the past two Wednesday nights, here's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing the FCF. If you don't know what that is, we've just been talking a little bit on Wednesday nights. How does any passage in Scripture, how does any passage in Scripture speak to us as fallen people or as people who live in a fallen world, or both? How does any passage, how does this passage speak to us as fallen people, as people who live in a fallen world, or both? We think, we think that God considers to be obedience to be optional. And we do not understand that a perfect obedience is required. You hear what I said? A perfect obedience is required. We, we are timid in prayer. We are timid in prayer. I'm not here to browbeat anybody, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. We are timid in prayer, and we may not know that we need not be timid in prayer as believers. We may feel ignorant. We may feel like, I don't know what I'm doing in prayer, and that's okay. We need to grow, and the Lord helps us. We are sinners in need of mercy and grace. 
What we need ultimately, what we need ultimately is for atonement to be made for us. Listen, we are in need of someone who can faithfully and perfectly and permanently represent us before God and to make atonement. Because I tell you today, we cannot do that for ourselves. You can die for somebody else. Even a good man will die for somebody. But none of us are sinless. And none of us can bear the wrath of God for sinners, much less for ourselves. We need an atonement to be made. We need, some, we need a go-between. We need somebody who can deal with us in religious matters, in, in matters pertaining to God. We need somebody who will deal faithfully, perfectly, permanently. That's what we need. That's what we need. This passage gives us, if anything, if anything, it gives us this great truth that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. Let me just lead us through this text this morning by way of some questions. Let me very simply lead us through this text by way of some questions. Go with me here in Hebrews 5. If we say that Jesus is our great high priest, this passage is about the high priesthood, Jesus is our great high priest. Well, would you help me? What does that mean? I'm just going to ask some basic questions. This is how we're, these are the hooks that you can hang your hat on this morning. These are the hooks, these questions. What does that mean that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, what the author does here in this wonderful passage is he unpacks for us, first of all, the portrait of a regular high priest. He shows to us, first of all, the person and the role of a high priest. Look at verse 1. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. In verses 1 through 4, in verses 1 through 4, the author, and remember our text is verses 1 through 10, in verses 1 through 4, he's laying out the role and the person of what we might call a regular high priest. If you know the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's called the Levitical high priests. Do you know the first high priest? The key high priest who started it all? You know that's Aaron, right? And then after him is what we call the Levitical high priest. You know the beautiful thing about Hebrews? The beautiful thing about Hebrews, friends, is that Hebrews summarizes the most important things about the Old Testament in short summary form. What's the best commentary for the book of Hebrews? Well, the Bible, the Old Testament. If you don't know your Old Testament well, know that it's the Bible. The Old Testament is the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's part of the Christian Scriptures. The Old Testament's part of the Christian Scriptures. So first of all, get to know your Old Testament so that you can know Jesus Christ. But here's another thing. Hebrews, beautifully, it's so awesome. Hebrews, in short summary form, helps you throughout the whole book on the most important things about the Old Testament. So you can read them in tandem. You could read Hebrews, and you could say, hey, this helps me in six verses learn about the Christ sacrifice on the cross. Or... Jesus is our great high priest. What does that mean? What does that mean? 
How about we look at a regular high priest? Because they go together. Here's what it means, let me tell you. I just jotted these things down. Here's what he says about the regular high priest. Okay, here it is. What does he do? He offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. I want you to get this. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. Also, he can identify with those whom he represents in pretty much every way. He has to first offer sacrifice for his own sins. It is a great honor to be high priest. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I wrote down, what I wrote down in summary. Aaron was the first high priest. God calls high priests, not the priest himself and not men. Men don't call high priests. High priests do not call themselves. God calls high priests. God appoints high priests. Because he is not in any way fundamentally different from his people, he can deal gently with them. True sympathy. Because the high priest is not in any way fundamentally different. No, he's fundamentally like, fundamentally similar to his people. Therefore, he can deal gently with them. The high priest is chosen. Chosen. He acts on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's important. That's important. The high priest has a role that ultimately has to do with making atonements. I want you to get this. This is a wonderful part of the Word of God. Man, there are riches in the Word of God because it's all God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. Look at what I just told you in the text. Verses 1 through 4. And again, what is this? This is him summarizing the high priest. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently, verse 2, with the ignorant and wayward, praise God, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Did you notice verse 3? I'm going to pause for seven seconds and you read that quietly on your own. Verse 3 again. And no one, verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So that's my first question. What, what does this mean? Well, that's my best attempt right there. What does it mean that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, it's set against the background. It's set against the background of the regular high priest. Jesus doesn't uh, create new categories. These are the categories. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Aaron. Here's another question. Doesn't this have to do also with his humanity? Doesn't this have to do, these are questions that you're asking me this morning. Doesn't this have to do also with his humanity? Yes, it does, to be precise, with Christmas, with his incarnation. Already in the book of Hebrews, we see in wonderful places like the end of chapter 4, very end of chapter 4, chapter 2, we see the humanity of the man, Christ Jesus. We see the incarnation. We see Christmas. So if we ask, if you ask me this question, doesn't this have to do also with his humanity? Yes, absolutely it does. 
I've told you that this passage is about the high priest. I've told you that this passage, if, if nothing else, if nothing else, then it tells us what the end of chapter 4 tells us, that Jesus is our great high priest. But let me tell you that that's not all. There's something else that I discovered that is glorious. It's very simple and it's glorious. And it's this word appointed. Appointed. Jesus is our great high priest, but I want you to notice this word. Friends, there is life in the word of God. There is life in the word of God. Look at this with me. Verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is what? Yeah, the ESV is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now look at the very end of our passage. Look at verse 10. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The word appointed is not used in verse 10, but it's a synonym, right? It's a similar word. Being what? Being designated by God a high priest after the order. So the bookends of our passage, the bookends of our passage, verse 10, Jesus Christ is designated by God a high priest. Verse 1, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. And then it's so important that look in the middle. Look in the middle. It's at the end. It's at the beginning. It's in the middle. Verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was what? Was appointed by him who said to him, Psalm 2. Verse 6, as he says in another place, Psalm 110, pointed. George Guthrie asked the question, what motivates you? Christian, are you a Christian here this morning? Are you? Have you, John chapter 3, have you been born again by the Spirit? Do you know God through Jesus Christ? Do you know that your only hope is that Jesus died on the cross for sinners? It's what we were singing at the beginning of the service. Is that you this morning? If you are a Christian here this morning, what motivates you? George Guthrie puts it like this. What motivates me? Listen, what motivates me in my pursuit of God? Now, he wrote this many years ago. The world of advertising has a great deal at stake in being able to read human behavior. About, if I read my numbers correctly, about $100 billion worth per year. And he wrote this many years ago. About $100 billion worth per year in the United States spent on discerning human behavior for the purpose of advertising. That's more than the rest of the world combined. George Guthrie says, I think a good portion of that comes to my home in the form of junk mail. One phone company has been sending me checks trying to get me to switch from another. I am told I need a new shampoo, a different make of car, the latest brand of jeans, and a strange name cologne. Evidently, most banks in the United States have a card with a better interest rate than the one I now carry. Anybody, I get credit card stuff in the mail all the time. 
what feels good, looks sharp, or works well motivates us. This is like, you know, behavioral psychology. Let me say that again, what he just said. What feels good, looks sharp, or works well motivates us. He said what does not work well, what would fall like a hundred pound weight in our society would be the motivation, especially for Christians, the motivation that is called divine decree. Divine decree. I don't know, like, maybe like verse 6, Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I am God and I have said it. I don't know, maybe like, like Psalm 2. Like Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Let me finish with Guthrie for just a minute. Listen to this. Why are you doing what you are doing? Is the fact that God has appointed Jesus to a position of honor in which we are called to obey him a significant practical motivation for us? And our continuing commitment Are we more moved by the call of our world system and values? Danger lies in embracing the world's value system, for she is a mother who often eats her young. He says, danger is involved in embracing the world's value system because she is a mother who often eats her young. And as we've said before, for the sake of our children... For the sake of our children and for the sake of our own souls, we need to wake up. We need to wake up that the world and the flesh and the devil are real. There is this unholy triumvirate, right? Wage war against the Christian. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're talking about the world. I love what he says. The world's value system. She is a mother who often eats her young. But no, no, according to this passage... One of the motivations for the Christian to obey God because obedience matters. Obedience matters. One of our motivations is divine decree. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. He is the high priest. What does that mean for Hebrews? It means you Jewish Christians probably huddled together in the small house church. Do not go back to Judaism. Do not think that if you go back, if you are tempted to go back to earthly high priest, I tell you, it will be to no avail. Stay with the true and better high priest. Stay with Jesus. His sacrifice is better. His high priesthood is better. His high priesthood is not better. It's way better. Jesus is better. And so he says to these Jewish Christians what he would say to us. Stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this passage unbiblical? Aren't the statements in our text today unbiblical? Stay with me. That's another question that you're asking me. Aren't these statements unbiblical in verses 7 through 9? I mean, in verse 7, if you look carefully in verse 7, and it's what's, it, what's he doing there? He's talking about Jesus' human life as our great high priest. Aren't these statements unbiblical? 
It says, with loud cries and tears, he called out to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Is anybody with me? Is anybody looking at verse 7? What is it? It says, he was heard. He was heard. What was his request? To be saved from death. And the Bible says he was heard. But if you know anything about Christianity, you know that Jesus died on the cross. Well, it doesn't stop there. Because in verse 8, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience. What does that mean? What do you mean that my Savior learned obedience? Well, it doesn't stop there because in verse 9, he says, In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being made perfect. Friends, you've got to wrestle with the text. You've got to think about the text. Because in the Word of God, there is life. And in verse 9, he says that Jesus was made perfect. What? And in verse 8, he says he learned obedience. What? And in verse 7, he says he prayed to be saved from death and he was heard. Aren't these statements unbiblical? And of course we know that the answer to that is no. Because, listen to me, verse 8 never says he was disobedient and then he learned obedience. That's just not what it says. It just doesn't say he was disobedient, but he learned obedience. It does say he learned obedience. Verse 9 does not say he was imperfect and therefore he was made perfect. That's not. It does say he was made perfect. Verse 7 does say his prayer was answered. And friends, how do we know his prayer was answered in verse 7? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. Listen to me. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. Because God raised him from the dead. That's an answer. What does verse 7 mean? In the days of his flesh. Did Jesus ever cry? Well, how about Lazarus? Verse 7 means his whole life. My dear friend, consider Jesus. Jesus is better. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows and full of grief. Jesus is not the Savior of people who have it all together and who are happy all the day. And now I am happy all the day. Maybe that's not the perfect hymn. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows and filled with grief. Verse 7 is about Gethsemane. Listen, Gethsemane, Mark 14, Calvary, Mark 15, and his whole life. Hebrews 5.7 is about Gethsemane. Father, if possible, let this cup be taken from me. If possible, let this cup be taken from me. Calvary, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his whole life. Life. No. You've got to be careful with the Bible. Just because the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, He means every word of that. It doesn't mean that we can believe on our own. Just because the Bible says, whosoever will come to me, I will never cast out. Man, you can take that to the bank. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, can be, and you will be saved. Whosoever will. It doesn't mean that on our own we can come. You see how we read things into the Bible? Just because it says, again in verse 8, he learned obedience, it doesn't mean that he was ever disobedient. No, no, no. And just because it says in verse 9 he was made perfect, it doesn't mean that he was once imperfect. No, Kent Hughes summarizes it very well. The idea is simply this, that he became complete in his human experience. You remember the high priest? You remember the high priest? Here's what Kent Hughes said again. He became complete in his human experience. To be an authoritative, to be an authoritative high priest, you've got to be like your people and unlike them. To be a true high priest, whether you're talking about Jesus or a regular high priest, listen, you've got to be like your people and you've got to be unlike them. The regular high priests were mostly like the people because they had to offer sacrifice even for what? For their own sin. They make atonement for the people, but first they offer sacrifice for themselves. But they were also different. How were they different? Because of, listen, because of election. Because God chose them to be high priests. And when we talk about election, don't worry. Don't worry. When we talk about predestination and election, when we talk about our election as believers, here's the first thing. You are chosen in Christ. You are chosen in Christ. By that, I do not mean that you can choose to enter in yourself of your own free will and then you're chosen in Christ. That's what some people teach. That's not biblical. God chooses. God's sovereign. God is God. Nevertheless, the first thing that's true about election for the believer... The first thing that's true about election for the believer, Ephesians 1, you are chosen in Christ. Which is to say, he's the first elect one. He is the first elect one. What this passage is saying, what I told you that I learned is this word appointed, appointed, chosen, chosen, designated, appointed. This is my son. Listen to him. Obey him. If you do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ, you will perish forever, separated from God in eternity in hell. The book of Hebrews doesn't mince words. The book of Hebrews believes in faith alone, but it also uses language like verse 9, all those who obey him. All those we are chosen in Christ. He is the elect one. That's what this whole passage is about. Appointed. Appointed God chose his son to be the high priest. We are chosen in him. This is about Christmas. This is about the incarnation. You ask me, well, what? hey, John, what about verse 10 and verse 6? What about Melchizedek? Don't ask me that now. Don't ask me that now. Verse 10 and verse 6 talks about Melchizedek. There you go. And he's simply, he's setting the stage to unpack this in chapter 7. Okay? He's setting the stage, and you should, you should read the whole book. Hey, finally, didn't we already do this passage, you ask, if you're really trekking? No, no, and yes. Because this whole paragraph is actually 414 through 510. And so 5, 1 through 10 stands on its own, the high priest. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Aaron. 
But it all goes back to the end of chapter 14. And let me just point you to verse 16. I know you have at least enough energy to look there. Verse 16 of chapter 4. I'm sorry, Hebrews 4, 16. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our great high priest. Therefore, go to him. Go to him. Today, right now, right now even, draw near to him. Prayer. What is 416 about? 416 is about prayer. We cannot be saved apart, ultimately, ultimately, we cannot be saved apart from obedience. But what this passage today screams to us is the perfect obedience of Christ. Barrett Benton will not live a life of perfect obedience. He's come out of the gate failing already. His uncle will not live a life of perfect obedience. I love you, brother. I have certainly not. That's why we're not Roman Catholic. I'm so glad that I'm not a priest. Listen, I am, I am so far from the priest. Our, your elders are so far from the priest. This passage says plainly in verse 9 that ultimately we believe in faith alone, faith alone. But faith alone gives, gives way to an obedient Christian life. God cares about obedience, but He cares about perfect obedience. He cares about perfect obedience, and that's what this chapter is about. The life of perfect obedience of our great high priest. So you can go to Him. You can go to Him in prayer. You can go to Him. What man, what man whose son comes to Him saying, Father, give me some food, will give Him a scorpion. Even so, if you ask your Father, will He not give you the Holy Spirit? Luke chapter 11. Go to Him in prayer. He is our great high priest. He and He alone does not have to make atonement for Himself before He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us, not for His own sins but because we are sinners. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So by your Spirit, would you help us to hold fast our confession? Help us, Lord, to hold fast our confession. Help us to draw near. Help us to draw near by faith, knowing that our sinless Savior is sympathetic to us and able to deal with our sin completely. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.